to another episode of The B-Side. We're a podcast for the Film Stage website. And if you're listening, this is the first time that we are uh, coming to you, releasing on two uh, simultaneous feeds for our podcast. We have our own special B-Side feed, uh, which you can search at The B-Side Film Stage podcast. And we're still coming out on the original Film Stage show feed as well for the next couple episodes. Um, happy Thanksgiving if you're listening. It probably just happened. As we're recording, it's almost Thanksgiving. And I can say that I am thankful that we are done watching these movies <laughs> because this is one of the – probably one of the weakest slates of B-sides that we've done in the year plus that we've been doing it, um, I think. I, I would agree. I think um, – yeah. I, well, it – I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that this might this might become our meanest episode. Um, I guess it's not certain, surprising in yeah. a sense, right? So today we're talking about the B-sides of one Adam Sandler. And not unlike Matt Damon, he's got a lot of B-sides when you actually look at the kind of, you know, his output. I suppose the difference would be he's made a lot of hits, right? Like that's right. the thing with Adam Sandler. Like Matt Damon's made a lot of hits, sure. Adam Sandler has legitimately made almost more hits than most movie stars, right? Like a comparable, like a comp would be Will Smith, right? Like, Right, he's in that small list, I think, of, of actors yeah. that's just like a... He is, I think, himself a mega hit, right? Like yeah. he's grossed over $3 billion. Yeah, he's a brand onto himself. Now, of course, yeah. with someone this big, we can't just talk me and Connor O'Donnell alone. We have to bring a guest who can reflect the weight of such an icon. And so <laughs> in 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 that uh, in that respect, we have with us the one and only Jordan Rout. Thank you, guys. Hey, Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad now, to be here. Now, we thought of you, Jordan, or I thought of you, I suppose, because... <laughs> I mean, now we all went to college together, and uh, me and Jordan started the film stage. What was it sophomore year? We started yeah. it Jun junior, yeah, yeah, sophomore junior, sophomore year. into junior. Year. Yeah, right. So now the joke with Connor becoming one of our very good friends in college was like we had film school classes with him, and we always knew of him, and he was like in this class or that class or whatever it was, and then like one day we were having a party at our apartment and we invited Connor and he came into the party and he brought, you probably, I think you brought, you must've brought like rum or some shit like that. Yeah. You I brought like, like a bottle. You're like the Nick Swartzen. You just show up in randomly in, well, in different places. So. Yeah. And the story is literally, you came to the party. We had, a, we had a good party. The next morning you were sleeping on the couch and we all, we woke up and we put on a movie and you just kind of stayed there and you never really left. <laughs> and I never went away. And now me and Connor work together, and it's yeah. and sometimes we're lucky enough to these days work with Jordan and what he does. And obviously, we all, you know, Jordan runs the film stage, and me and Connor sometimes contribute. Look for my Twenty One Bridges review if you're listening right now. Um, surprisingly good movie. Um, so it's nice to have us all together talking about this guy. But anyway, the reason we thought of Jordan is because when we were all in college, Jordan, you had an affinity for the movie Click. I did. I did. It, it wasn't, I mean, an affinity is a strong word. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I saw this film at a moment. It, my my grandfather just passed away, and then I decided to watch this film, and the tears the tears came. Now, Hot and heavy. I don't I don't think of click. Now it's obviously it's not one of our B sides because it was a hit, and I think people basically in the canon of Sandler. I think people remember Click more than most movies. Um, I think Kate Beckinsale is the female lead yeah. in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like his wonderful. It's a Wonderful Life movie, right? Like he he gets a remote control and he can change Look his back, life. Yeah, and what he yeah, learns I mean, is what he wanted was there. <laughs> All yes, along. all along, all along. Yeah, no, that the movie's weird because almost nothing in it works on like any emotional or comedic register, and then there's just this one scene that will just make you cry. He, I feel like uh, a lot of people's assessment and attachment, or just general remembrance of the movie and to the movie, is that. Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of people think of it that way. Like, I remember when that movie came out, I had other friends that were like. Oh, yeah, I saw a click and like it was kind of whatever, but I cried like a baby. And like, I think that's probably why it wound up being a hit. You know, I think there's, you know, and we'll talk about it a little bit and not so much the movies we're going to cover, but there is a level of general sentimentality to Adam Sandler that I think is what has made him a box office mainstay, um, at, at least for, you know, the better part of a like a decade through the 90s and like early to mid 2000s. Um, and it's, it's interesting. Um, but uh, as Dan said, it's not one of our B sides, what we're going to be talking about, uh, today are, uh, we're going to do, uh, 1996's bulletproof. And then we're going to jump ahead a little bit to, uh, rain over me and then bedtime stories and then men, women, and children from 2014. Let me, I mean, it is a cavalcade yeah. Of, of, yeah. of bad let's just let's jump right out in front of it here yeah. yeah and we have to apologize to the cobbler heads right off the bat that we're not going to be yeah, yeah it's, I, I, about the cobbler. I, I it's have, too have recent have we all I seen think. the cobbler uh, uh yeah. i have not i have not have yeah, we all cobbled yeah. no jordan's cobbled. i'm not a, i have i have never cobbled but I it was also it, cobbled i believe it was the same year as men women and children in the sense that like they were both premiering at tiff right. and that and then Cobbler came out later, but everyone was like, oh, man. Was it the same year as Men, Women, and Children, or was it the same I, year as Meyerwood Stories? No, no. Meyerwood no, Stories was much uh, more recent. No, was, yeah, that was only that, two years ago. Because I think Jordan's right. I think it came out later because- well, I remember both those movies. He's like, oh, man, he's working with Jason Reitman and Thomas McCarthy, who just won uh, Spotlight, the Oscar, I believe. He had just- Or he's a, he, he had Spotlight coming out as well. Right. Because that's the it whole- was, And exactly. they're like, man, this is going to be his one-two punch. Right. And it, then they both premiered at TIFF and everyone was just like, never talked I about think, either I again. I mean, I think both of you had said this too, but I feel like other- It was like a thing that was circulating around like- And I guess this varies depending on how you feel about Spotlight. But like the funny thing is that like- he McCarthy wound up releasing like the you know the best movie of the year and the worst movie <laughs> yes. of the year depending on who you ask. Yeah, yeah that got but, a lot of play. Like the Cobbler was on a lot of worst of lists, and you know obviously Spotlight won the Oscar. Um, the Cobbler is definitely a B side qualifier, um, but it it is a fiasco in such a respect that I do think it's almost like it almost like skirts away from B-side, you know, but I guess it would still stay in the realm because not a lot of people have seen it, you know? Um, that movie is truly um, 
crazy. You know, I think I think <laughs> it, it's certainly more interesting than any of the movies we're going to talk about. Wouldn't you say, Jordan? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like just on a on a. Yeah. Short... Most of these are just kind of bland. Just kind of. And, yes. Well, and and we'll get to it, but I think uh, particularly, you know. I think I think the big failure with a lot of the movies that we're going to talk about is just that like they don't they don't know what they are right like like I think even when Sandler has given like truly abysmal output like a blended or a like even he will just chalk it up to like I just want to make a movie with my friends right oh, like yeah. it's there's at least like a knowing like hey I'm not trying to do anything crazy here and I think with a lot of the movies we're going to talk about. And I think it, it particularly with like something like uh, Bulletproof um, and Bedtime Stories, the reason I kind of wanted to talk about them is because they they are him trying at a thing. Um, right. That, that you know, as you get through the grander scheme of his career are anomalies, right? Because like Bulletproof is him doing a buddy action movie. He had never done one of those again after that. And then, you know, uh, bedtime stories in particular is his only uh, children's movie. I guess outside Pixels, of Pixels, does uh, that pic- count? Eh, maybe Pixels is kind of in the realm of bedtime stories. Um, yeah, I guess a little. I think bedtime stories is a bit better than Pic- Pixels is particularly uh, not great. I think, but and, um, and obviously voice voice work in Hotel Transylvania. I mean, who oh, could I was, I mean what I was thinking of actually was uh, Eight Crazy Nights is like another oh, yeah. one that's like oh uh, yeah. yeah I saw that but. in theaters I remember liking Eight Crazy Nights so it was a long time ago though um, so I mean we'll start with Bulletproof and I think we can use Bulletproof as like a jumping off point to even just how we f- also just feel about Adam Sandler in general so 1996 um, Adam Sandler is I think if not recently fired just about to be fired from snl um he obviously has a quite stratospheric rise on the show but you know by all accounts lauren michaels never really loved the style of comedy that came with that whole group right just in terms of you know farley and sandler and spade and all those so you know he ends up leaving or getting asked to leave and Bulletproof, I think, is, you know, it's right in line with, you know, Billy Madison and, you know, I think the same year as Happy Gilmore and it's him just becoming the star that we, you know, now know. And this is one of the ones that misses. And it's directed by Ernest Dickerson, someone who is a pretty impressive cinematographer and a, and a pretty capable director as well. He directs a lot of TV now. He was Spike Lee's cinematographer for a long time before he went and did his own stuff. He made Juice. He made Surviving the Game. More recently, he did the horror movie with Snoop Dogg, Bones, right? So he's made some interesting movies. This movie, he has been quoted as saying he basically regrets making, regrets the way he handled the whole situation, has just a bad remembrance of it. And it shows. He said, said, I'd like to erase that whole experience. Yeah, exactly. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of these things. um, Before credits, it's 70 it's 78 or 79 minutes long this movie um it's essentially uh like connor said it's a buddy action it's an action buddy comedy movie starring uh adam sandler and damon wayans um adam sandler plays a guy named archie moses who's kind of a small-time criminal looking to go more big time and his like best friend for a year which is a whole nother thing is damon wayans and spoiler he's a cop and at the very beginning of the movie 
um, there's a sting and Damon Wayans reveals he's undercover or it gets revealed and uh, Adam Sandler feels betrayed. And through a series of unfortunate events, Adam Sandler accidentally shoots Damon Wayans in the head and and gets away and then uh, ultimately turns state's evidence on the bad guy who hired him, who's James Kahn, in a truly bad performance. And um, essentially that forces Adam Sandler and Dame Waynes to uh, reunite uh, because Dame Waynes needs to transport Adam Sandler safety safely to reveal his evidence and blah, 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 blah. And of course, on the way, people are trying to kill them because Adam Sandler knows, knows everything. So pretty standard action movie setup. But just it seems like and plays like what Ernest Dickerson is talking about. It's not a full movie, really. It's kind of scattershot. There's, it feels like there's a lot missing, yeah. Like, yeah. especially the first like twenty minutes. Yeah. Like now, I I had read that Dickerson made, like filmed an R-rated movie, and then they tried to cut it into a PG-13 movie, which I think was the source of a lot of problems. But then when I rewatched it, it must have been an R, right? Because oh, yeah, there's a definitely. lot of cursing no, yeah. in it. So I don't know if like the residue of that attempt just resulted in what you have on the screen here, like in terms of what's left over. But I mean, the movie ultimately came out, didn't really do much in terms of box office, has like 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody really had much regard for it. Um, I'll be honest. I... When I was rewatching it, I had always had this idea in my head that it was a little bit better than people thought. I was like, I remember like watching it on USA, USA, like when I was younger, and I was I was wrong. I mean, I'll just say that <laughs> rewatching it. Uh, so shame I, on me. I kind but. of remember the same thing because I feel like all I remembered from this movie is the first like twenty minutes or something like right, that. Right, which are, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, no, no, it's I, I, admittedly, for the first like ten. I was like, oh, maybe this is gonna be good. Like I like I was ready yeah, to like go. Way. I was ready to go with the movie. Um, I mean, it's just it, it, I don't know, really know where to begin with it. It's, I mean, it's certainly not the worst movie of these four. No, but um, I mean, it's clearly going for like a midnight run kind of forty eight hours vibe. No, oh no, my it, god! It, but there's <sighs> there's nothing to the characters, no, like, no, especially Adam Sandler. Yeah, and he's not like. It's it's weird because it's yeah like there's there's nothing to him. It's a weird dynamic because Adam Sandler, just to be clear, Dan called him a small time criminal. And he kind of is, but he is involved right in James Con's operation of like smuggling heroin. Like it's not like he's stealing hubcaps or something like that. Like he like they're they're perpetrating some like seriously terrible shit. Well, I guess the way and, they, the way they try to set it up is like he has been small time, and this job is like is his, his big thing. step into the big time but yeah it's like one of these things like i mean this dude deserves to go to jail for you know what i mean no, like he's well, they're transporting that, heroin it's like a terribly evil thing you know yeah that's that's kind of part of it right like because uh, a big uh and i can't remember who wrote the review but there was an la times review that i was reading uh while i was watching it and basically it was talking about how like you know th this movie's a romance right like that that's what it is right it's about like two people 
who are in love with each other, who basically have a falling out and and are forced to kind of keep it together or like forced to kind of get together. Right. And I, like I, as I, I had that in my head as I was watching it and thinking like, oh, it's like basically it happened one night, like is essentially what it is. Right. And um, I guess to a certain degree. And but, written, you know, written by the same person. So obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but but the like the, there's a lot of just super homophobic jokes oh, which yeah. are just there's there are like whole Gay panic is yeah. that like uh, homo- yeah, homopho- all- homophobia is going to be like a, the, an, a the death of every 90s film rewatched in, uh, yeah. in this whole thing yeah yeah but i mean it's like there yeah there's straight up things in this that are like hate crimes but um but the big thing though is like Sandler bemoans the whole time that like, how could you do this to me? How could you lie to me? And the movie clearly wants you to take his side. But it's like, well, I don't know. No, Damon Wayans was an undercover cop. That's his job. That's what they do. <laughs> and Adam Sandler, you're a criminal. You're like a bad person. Like there's no like it's so it's a very weird thing that they like try and play with in terms of like your sympathies because they want you to not like Damon Wayans and granted I basically don't like Damon Wayans but like I don't like Sandler either so yeah. that's that's like a huge tough part I think you you never really buy Sandler as this you know crim- like hard edge criminal no not at all and which is interesting I mean we're going to talk about it later probably but uncut gems that's interesting because he kind of toes this line between like you've seen it yes yes, okay. yes nice guy but also some with some shit you know in his that that he's dealing with in in terms of like the criminal underworld. Interesting. And so, but but you buy him because he's kind of battling, you know, both both he's sides. Like in, caught in the yeah. in between. Interesting. That's really. Whereas this movie is trying to kind of be on one side, and you just really don't buy it at all. Yeah, I, and it's I I wonder like it, I I can see I can totally see how somebody and I don't know if it's like his people or Ernest Dickerson or who is like oh yeah maybe we could make him you know, one of the two guys in a buddy action movie. I get that math. I just like, um, and I was trying to think like, is there a better, either a better version of this movie or is there just like a, maybe a different buddy movie that like he would have been better suited for. And I was trying to think of it and I couldn't really, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's the, the one, I mean, I did like the sequence that the shootout uh, into the plane sequence, there is some, like some suspense, some imagination happening. Oh, with the flying when, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. When, and you I, know, they're, they're walking by and then they just, two, two people start getting shot and then everyone keeps going down and then they go on the plane. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that scene's okay. And there's basically, there's like an, a, you know, like a fun little moment, I guess, where Sandler has to fly the plane because, because he is a smuggler for James Caan. He's like revealed that he's like clocked in a certain amount of flight time and whatnot so like there are certain I, things that work a, stand, a standout moment for me in this movie was when the hotel manager could like actually drive a car really well and they're like you remember that when they're like, oh, getting he away basically the is the one that gets them out of the jam i mean that's and then funny. wants to kiss that him at the end which moment. is just <laughs> unnecessary <laughs> But that's that like another. Whole, I like, mean, that whole the, middle sequence though is tough. And yeah. it's like, like that's the homophobia. A lot of that, where it's like they basically the hotel manager's like I guess presented as closeted and like is uncomfortable because he thinks Adam Sandler, Dame Wayans are gay. I mean, you deal with. I mean, this is one of these things. And Rain Over Me has stuff like this too, which is yeah almost more offensive given the content. But um, it's like. It's weird to watch these movies now. I was saying this to Kelly, yeah. like the the use of the F word in these oh, movies yeah. is so oh, it, 
it is, burns, dude. Every time they said it, I was just like, oh, God. It's okay. funny like, to think back, yeah. like, how it's so uncomfortable now and how it was so free-flowing. Like, I just – it's just – I mean, what a change. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's kind of it, right? I mean, you know, Dickerson basically disowned it, more or less. It didn't really get much notice. Um, You know, Damon Wayans never really became the movie star he probably should have become. Um. You know, he had stuff like Last Boy Scout, which was underseen, but pretty, you know, a pretty decent movie, all things considered. Um, I remember loving that movie Mo Money when I was a kid. It was always on Comedy Central. You know, so like there were there he had a bunch of shots, but he never really hit hit it. And he ended up getting in a sitcom world with stuff like My Wife and Kids and whatnot. So yeah, interesting to kind of see the two trajectories of their career in this movie to some respect. Um I do love that he ultimately goes on to be in the Lethal Weapon TV show where like Right, because I think he, he publicly it's the same, he's the same he, character, like Yeah, and I think he publicly badmouths Last Boy Scout, um, which was written by Shane Black. And then yeah, I think people made made hay of the fact that ultimately then he's in the Lethal Weapon TV show, which now is no longer with us, partly because of you know, onset stuff with him and other people and whatnot. So it's funny how it all comes back around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? It's kind of one of these movies. It's very forgettable. I mean, this is I mean, like it, the definition of a forgettable movie. There's just, yeah, there are just things in it that like it, it jumps around, like Jordan said, is particularly in the first like 20 minutes or so. Uh, you know, I was engaged, especially once they do the sting and the reveal in like the first 10 or 15 because that's just not what you expect that movie to do. You expect it to reveal that he's a cop and then drag that out for. So I did sort of appreciate like the structure of the movie in that regard that like you get you get that version of, or that half of that movie out of the way relatively quickly. And the whole movie just deals with the fallout of it. I thought that was super interesting. Um, the uh, any of the like romantic connection that that goes on between um what is her name? Uh, Kristen Wilson, or yeah, is that her name? Yeah, yeah who the, plays the, Tracy, the who physical, is the physical the, therapist. Yeah, the, yeah. One of the worst With parts the of the whole movie is the montage where there's no dialogue and it just presumes that they just like get it on, and you're like, yeah, so now yeah. they're together. You know, no, right? I, I was very, I was super confused for the first like thirty minutes of this movie. Like, how? What year is it? Like, what? Like, they're they're like living together and stuff. Like, it's like a whole thing. And and granted, like he recovered and stuff. He get Damon Wayans gets shot in the head, right? And lives and makes a full recovery. And that and and you know, so what is it? A year? Like the movie's really nebulous with stuff like that. Um, but uh, but and I guess spoilers like part of that gets explained a little bit because you realize that she works for James Caan and has mm -hmm. been working for him the whole time. So that that at least I guess explains how they would get together so quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's bad. It's, yeah. a, it's no need to revisit. Yeah, it's a it's a it's, it's a bad movie. Um, yeah. And then, I so, mean, just to kind of contextualize his career a little bit. So Billy Madison's the year before this. Happy Gilmore is the same year. They are both hits for what they're made for, right? And I think surprise hits in that. So it's like- Became VHS mainstays too. All of a sudden like it's they, like, I oh, feel like, right. Yeah. It's like, who's Adam Sandler? Wedding Singer comes out 
uh, two years later in 1998, along with The Waterboy, which was a monster hit. People forget. The Waterboy was like an event, which... Uh, I think that I mean, year. I mean, '98 was. I think like. I mean, we were all we were all high. Was Adam Farouz- Sandler arriving? I mean, like, it, that was, was... it was Faruza Balk time, dude. Everybody wanted some of that bulk back then, you know. <laughs> the craft, the water boy, and so '99 is Big Daddy, right? So, this is kind of the halcyon days of Adam Sandler. I feel like people our age, right? Me, you, and Connor, or me, you, and mm-hmm. like the three of us. Like, I think we. Also, for those listening, Dan will forever confuse me and Jordan. I know. I always say their names. I always say basic, their names. Basically, I don't know. The it's the weirdest thing that I do. That I've done that literally the whole time I've known you both. We so, look exactly alike. So. I mean, yeah. it's true. You guys are you guys are identical <laughs> twins. Um, but for for people of our age, which is to say, like you know, early thirties to mid thirties, I feel like this time period we regard with some nostalgia, right? Because, sure, you know, the wedding singer, Happy Gilmore, mm-hmm. the water boy, maybe to a lesser degree, but like Big Daddy, I still like Big Daddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I'll point out all the problematic stuff you want to in Big Daddy. That movie still makes me smile, right? Like, and that I don't think will really change. So the only one I think of, of that, you know, those, that first four, like those just first four, like big, huge Sandler comedies um, that I think still really holds water for me is wedding singer that's like the only one that i'll catch when it's on and and be like oh no this is just like nice like they're right i mean that one has is different though i feel like well it's, it's a not going it's like a, it's laughs, like a, yeah, yeah it's a pure rom-com right yeah. so i think that's part of it too um yeah that's definitely uh remained the best aged the best i think yeah i would agree i mean there's still there are still jokes here and there in it that haven't aged uh too well but uh but i do think the two of them on screen you know, and obviously they've he and Drew Barrymore have reunited a few times since then. But I think the two of them on screen is what makes that movie kind of go uh, a long way. No, yeah, and and I think um, you know, and then and then two thousand, you have Little Nicky, which I will I I hate with all my heart and soul. I've never um, seen. Quentin Tarantino makes a cameo in that movie. He oh, certainly boy. does. Uh, Harvey Keitel plays plays the devil in that movie. I believe he does. I believe he does. Oui. Okay. Yeah. Punch okay. Drunk Love though is O two, which people always go back to and deservedly so. It's an amazing performance, an amazing movie. Mister Deeds that same year, Eight Crazy Lights, Eight Crazy Nights. Sorry, we talked about. You know, Anger Management's O three. Um, I think O four is a kind of a nice year for him. He has Fifty First Dates and Spanglish, which I think are both actually. Um, that's the, as Connor said, that's the second Drew Barrymore, uh, Adam Sandler movie, Fifty First States is, and Spanglish is his movie with James L. Brooks. Those are those are both nice movies, if not perfect movies. And then 05 is The Longest Yard, and 06 is Click, which is, as we said, Jordan's favorite movie. Yeah. And yes. then um, 07 is I Now Pronounce well, Click you. was directed by Jordan Rowe. Right, yeah, Jordan yeah, did yeah. direct Click. We should have said yeah, that yeah. before. Jordan yeah. did direct Sorry. Click. Um, slight bias. We buried sure, the lead on that a one. A slight bias. 07 is where we have Rain Over Me, which is our second movie directed by Mike Binder. And that same year, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, uh, which so has similar. a writing credit so from Alexander Payne, if you didn't know that, and is one of the most homophobic, one of the most homophobic movies I've ever seen. Um, yeah, Alexander Payne and, and Jim Taylor have a writing credit on that. Uh, I will say about I, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. It's not one of our movies. My problem with that movie is it spends 90 minutes telling you being gay is weird and then spends the last five blaming you, like accusing you of laughing about it, which I just, I hate movies like that, you know, where it's like, 
aren't gay people funny? Ha 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 ha. Oh, shame on you for laughing. Not a fan of that. Um, Rain Over Me, on the other hand, also has homophobia, but less. So I guess that's good. Um, <laughs> it's, the um, bars were set for these movies. Are just, um, yeah. Written and directed by Mike Binder, who you might know, he did movies like The Upside of Anger. He had a show called The Mind of the Married Man on HBO, which uh, uh, I would say is not aged great, uh, given uh, the time we live in now. But regardless, it stars Adam Sandler and Don Sheetle with supporting performances by Jada Pinkett Smith, Liv Tyler, Saffron Burroughs, Donald Sutherland, and Mike Biner's in it himself. Um, so this movie, I recalled when when Connor was saying, let's do this. I recalled liking it. You can blame me. It's okay. <laughs> I recalled kind of liking it, right? Like I yeah, remembered yeah, me too. I remembered what it was about and I knew that it was probably, you know, maybe a little cloying or whatever the case. Uh, sadly, I had a more negative rewatch experience <laughs> as I did with Bulletproof. I, think, this, I was going to say, yeah, that is a recurring com- theme. This will be this. a recurring theme. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing with this movie, the reason I wanted to cover it is because it feels... I mean, it does. It, to me, it feels like what it is, which is, you know, you like you mentioned, O2, you have Punch Drunk Love, and I, I would not consider it a B-side because I do think it's a watershed moment in his career. Still is, right? Like, it's, I think it's still a thing that at least, you know, critics look at and go, wow, when are we just going to yep. get that again? And it seems like, I mean, granted, like- Well, Jordan, I, where I, do you, with Uncut Gems, where do you think it stacks up? Um, I, it's hard. I mean, I punch drunk love is a more, I would say like complete movie. Like, um, they're, they're going for more there. Whereas Uncut Gems is, is like a solid, it's almost like a return to if Bulletproof was good. Like I said, like a, like a, I mean, it's obviously the Safdies doing their own thing. There's more intensity to it than, than your normal crime drama, but it's not punch drunk love is going for something more, more artistic. I would say, whereas Uncut Gems is a little, um, it's, it's really solid. I mean, I like good time a little more, but, um, but okay. Adam Sandler's performance here is great. So yeah. that's, that is a reason. To no. See. And I mean, and I liked him. I liked him in Meyerowitz stories. Like yeah. I, I, I dug him in that. So it's, it, it's just interesting. Cause it feels like, it feels like Sandler kind of knows all that too, to a certain degree, even if, even if he is very unapologetic about like the bad movies that he makes, um, it, rain over me feels, uh, feels like him, yeah. trying at something again and I think he just I think the big problem with this movie as it relates to him and his performance is he's, I think he's just trying a little too hard yeah. like he's 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 putting on affectations and things that just like don't need to be there and um, and yeah he it actually it was initially supposed to be or at least written for Javier Bardem and Tom Cruise um, I don't know about the two of them together I know that I know that Javier Bardem was going to be the Don Cheadle role, and when he had to drop out, had recommended um, Adam Sandler uh, for for that role, and um, and yeah, I don't know. It's that would have been a I, th- I think a way different movie. <laughs> yeah, I think with Adam Sandler, like he does have this quality to him where as as soon as you see him on screen, he is like immediately disarming in the sense that like. There's no guard up and, and like, you know, you you bring in your recollection of the last, you know, two decades of movies he started and, right. and he's just kind of affable and, and kind of lovable, which in some movies, that's a good thing. And in others, they, they, they don't work when he's something, you know, going for something a little more um, daring. 
um, with with this one though, I think for me it's more the the um, structure of the script because sure. it's like every scene it's it's him re- reaching a boiling point that you know it's you know you know he's like you know talking to himself or, or something and then it's like he's gonna explode at some point and then you kind of repeat that every other scene and uh, which is what punch truck love is yeah too basically yeah, he's true. like it's like repeating that. Yeah, I think, and and the subplot is so bad with uh, Don Cheadle and the and infidelity. And yeah, and, yeah. Well, I was so as far as the plot, basically, Adam Sandler plays a name. Uh, Adam Sandler plays a guy named uh, Charlie Feynman, uh, and uh, who is sort of ex college roommates with uh, Don Cheadle, who plays Alan Johnson. Don Cheadle is a dentist um, who sort of bumps into Charlie and reconnects with him. Um, and you get the idea that Charlie has basically become not a shut in, but essentially, uh, you know, in, like just overwhelmingly emotionally detached. Um, and Don Cheadle is sort of working through his own things in terms of his, uh, his sort of stilted marriage to, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, um, and how that sort of plays into these interactions he has with Saffron Burroughs, who plays one of his patients, who is just maybe one of the worst written characters I think I've seen <laughs> in a movie in recent years. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it goes past offensive and it like goes into like another other part of offense. Like it's like to yeah, the it, to a degree that's astonishing like 12 years later like to watch it now i was like oh yeah 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 I, yeah yeah, yeah. Have, <laughs> this is the worst thing i've ever seen in my whole life how did this happen <laughs> like because I, I forgot about it i forgot about it too so essentially yeah. right the pre- <laughs> the premise of this whole character poor saffron burrows by the way i mean yeah. just has had a career mired with uh, not great decisions, I suppose, but we will always have deep Lucy. Um, so she is essentially a character who she goes to Don Cheadle's office to get treated for she needs a veneer, but like clearly she doesn't have an actual reason for it. Like, and she makes that relatively clear once she's there. And um, Don Cheadle's receptionist makes a joke about him being attractive and all the all the hot ladies want him to be their dentist which okay that's a whole nother unexplored part Um, not a knock to don Cheadle, but that feels like a line that was written when javier bardem was gonna play the character yeah and 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 then just even there's a shot where like when saffron burroughs leaves there's all these hot women waiting so like as if to like like solidify the fact that the receptionist is right or something. Anyway, yeah. Saffron Burroughs comes in, needs a veneer, whatever, gets rescheduled, comes back, and wants Don che- wants to give Don Cheadle oral sex in his office. He refuses. And then she proceeds off screen to threaten to file a sexual harassment lawsuit against him. And obviously the dental firm you writ large. And I think it's Jonathan Banks, right? Who's like the mm-hmm. shitty other dentist is like, this will bring down the whole firm if you don't quiet this down. <laughs> and so he has yeah. to deal with it. And basically he deals with it. She comes back in and she <laughs> apologizes for accusing him of sexual harassment because she was going through a divorce, right? That's essentially, so like, 
the movie's essentially saying this woman is lying, and then when she apologizes, it's because of how she felt about a man, right? So, like, once again, this woman's agency is completely defined by the actions <laughs> of men, right? Like, in every yeah. single possible way. So, it's just on, on two separate levels, it's just just blindingly offensive, right? And so – Which in its own way, if the movie wanted to acknowledge that, because obviously the movie wants you to sympathize with like how empty and broken this woman is, like you could run with that. Like you could call like call the movie to task for it and say, oh, like her life has been destroyed and is dictated by men and like – and that has contributed to well, her and the movie, being empty, right? And like, movie, and not having agency. But yeah. the movie doesn't do that. Well, but right? it could, like, Mike Mike Biner clearly thinks he's doing something like that because I mean, we can we'll spoil rain over me because you know, uh, you know, no one's going to be up in arms. Um, <laughs> essentially, you know, they nine eleven happened. That, yeah, is that nine, the first spo- yes, oh. spoilers about nine right, eleven, and then also just you know so. The the Adam Sandler side of this thing is he's a broken man in his own way, and we what, what we learn in 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 snippets essentially is his whole family was on one of the planes. His um, whole family and, and his, his dog. dog. Yes, exactly. It was on one of the planes that went down in nine eleven, and so you have different reveals throughout. Like there, um, Melinda Dillon is his mother in law, and she gives a little monologue about it, where you kind of get a sense, and then he ultimately. Opens up him opens opens himself up to Don Cheadle. He knows Don Cheadle because they went to college together, um, and they reconnect uh, by chance on the streets of New York. And Don Cheadle inserts himself into his life and becomes a good friend. And their scenes together, I did I do think were were very effective. Actually, even rewatching it, but just to put a button on the Saffron Burroughs thing, she exists right ultimately to be a shoulder for Adam Sandler at the end of the film and vice versa, right? So you can tell that the way Mike Binder is like trying to frame her underwritten part is to give her character redemption by helping and being helped by Adam Sandler. The problem, of course, with that is like you're just making the same mistake again, right? Because it's like right. she is once again – her whole existence is validated or not validated by another man, right? So it's a very like, and it's not like the movie takes the other lens on it, right? Like it's not like right. it's not like the movie says to you like, oh, and Adam Sandler can do the same for her. Like the angle the movie it sure. feels like Mike Binder takes on it is this woman is here to heal Adam to help heal Adam <laughs> Sandler, and you're just kind of like, okay, <laughs> and it's and it's weird because. You know, Binder's not an all in all like some terrible filmmaker. I mean, I think he's made some good, some bad movies. I also just remembered that he's in Minority Report with Tom Cruise. He's Leo um, Crow. Yeah, he's Leo Crow in, he's Leo in Crow. Minority Report, which makes sense that this would have been written at some point for Tom Cruise. Right, because he but, wrote, right? Because, yeah, yeah, like you said before, he wrote it for Tom Cruise. So I think, you know, um, you know, just in terms of Mike Binder. Check out The Upside of Anger, which is a movie he made, I think, only a year before this. Um, Pretty nice little movie with a great performance by Kevin Costner and a great performance by Joan Allen. So, I don't know. I mean, it's one of these things. I think, look, creative people, he had an idea. He ran with it. I think, like like, like we're talking about, the 9-11 stuff in regards to ha- the effect and, you know, like – 
Melinda Dillon is it's a it's a very limiting performance, but even in that monologue, she's being very racist. But in this very and this is gonna, I mean this in in the most kind of broad terms in a relatable way, right? Which is to say, like her, that monologue is pretty well written because in '07, this does not excuse any of the language, but in '07, that type of person, like of course who had that type of scar in terms of losing her daughter and her grandchildren, of course she would say something like that. Like she, when she's talking to Don Cheadle about, you know, she's like, Oh, those monsters came yeah. from across the pond and blew up my whole life. And, you know, there is a honesty to that um, stereotyping and what have you that I do appreciate in the movie. Right. And I think there are moments like that. Um, but I, I don't know. Overall, you know, Don Cheadle, if, there, if this is really reminded me of anything, it's that Don Cheadle is one of our great actors, right? Because he's doing so much with kind of such a limited palette, limited like like playing area and, here. And weirdly, I think if you like – I feel like you either need to make the movie Don Cheadle's movie or you need to take him out of it, right? Like because where the movie lands, right – with particularly as it relates to Adam Sandler and Saffron Burroughs is could on its own. I mean, granted, and this, this is not a version of the anything in the movie that currently exists, but that idea of two broken people finding each other could on its own be a perfectly fine movie, but you just have to take Don Cheadle out of it. Right. Yeah. And that it has to be their movie. Well, I, and I, I, it should yeah, think just, of this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Well, just quickly, like, I, you know, time out of mind or like, where's Kyra? Like a cerebral, what's someone experience in New York City doing that? This movie doesn't really do that. There's like a few scenes of him riding on a scooter down the street or something, but there's not like, you don't really get inside his head too much because of the perspective. You're in Don Cheadle's perspective so right. much. It's like a so, Fisher King so, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I was thinking of other movies that kind of, encapsulate the city and the experience of someone living in the city after that and this doesn't really do that entirely well no like it's for a movie that is a 9-11 movie it's not it, because it comes kind of sitcom with the other subplots yeah, yeah well and also sure. and i think i'm stealing this from from a review but you know when he's riding around in this in the scooter all i think about is the location permits they needed to get for him to do that <laughs> you know so that you know like in terms of just you know he's riding past washington square park and i'm like okay i would have had to submit onto the blah, blah, blah street and, you know, paid this. And, you know, like I'm just – all I'm thinking about is like, you know, you know the different action cars they would have had to have that he has to like almost hit, you know, and all this stuff. Um, and that he might just be – He does call a good Bob Dylan. His, his look though, I feel like. Yeah. I Well, I don't – It's I have a certain era. I remember him <laughs> – I remember him – I don't mind the look. I think – No, I, no, no. no, no I, think, I, mean, I think it's basi- – I think it's basically fine. I remember him um, – like liking him a lot in the movie. And if you had asked me before rewatching it, you know, what I thought about it, I I would tell you my recollection of this movie was that the movie's kind of whatever, but Sandler's really good in it. Like that's that was like my memory of this movie. And the movie is bad and he is not the worst part about it because I think there are things in it that aren't necessarily his fault. Um but I just think he's like trying to flex too hard. I think like the brilliance of something like his performance in uh, Punch Drunk Love and even Meyerowitz stories, like the the really good dramatic Sandler performances, is that both um, both PTA and Bombback like use the tools in Sandler's toolbox. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And they don't even really, I mean, especially Punch Drunk Love doesn't even really bother playing against type, you know, and PTA has even said this, you know, in interviews, um, there's a, uh, there is a piece that I read when I was reading about all this, um, that, uh, I think it was from, was it Grantland that just a write up from a few years ago, um, about, punch drunk love and in it uh they mentioned that pta thought about that movie and just kind of thought of it as like he's making an adam sandler movie like he's in his mind he's earnestly just making an adam sandler comedy granted he's paul thomas anderson and he's one of the greatest living filmmakers so he still just makes it in his way and can't help but just put his expertise upon that movie um but the movie itself is you know when you look at the basic staples of it has all the same things that a broad adam sandler comedy does um and so he kind of leans into adam sandler as opposed to playing against him and i think a movie like this kind of tries to do the same thing because like you mentioned jordan like a lot of the scenes are 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 like you know tea kettles right like it's just they Mm -hmm. all start and you're waiting for the for the boiling point and you're waiting for him to like sandler out and there are definitely a few scenes like that but he adds this like extra like like New York accent affectation to his voice. And it just all feels unnecessary because it just doesn't feel like it needs to be a part of the character at all, you know? Um, And yeah, I don't know. It's his monologue where you finally, where he, for the first time in the movie talks about what, what happened to him and what happened to his family. He's definitely like doing good work. Like he's not, it's not bad. It's just, I don't know. It 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 feels like uh and it's a solid it's like a it's like a two and a half minute monologue where he just goes front to back through the whole thing. Um and it just I don't know, it it on rewatch, it it would have been the thing that I remembered fondly about the movie, but on a rewatch I kind of couldn't wait for it to be over. <laughs> so I'm going out to uh meet him in Los Angeles and on my way to JFK I'm in the taxi cab and I hear on the radio I get there and some man tells me the plane's from Boston. Some other guy says there's two planes. <laughs> then I go inside the airport and I'm watching. I'm watching on the television and I and I, I I saw it. I saw it and I felt it at the same time. And there's, I mean, just to, the last thing is like, there's also things in this movie that in, in like real world logic don't make a lot of sense. Like there's a whole court scene at the end that I didn't fully understand what it was about. Like it's like about, you know, it's regarding his in-laws, Robert Klein and Melinda Dillon. And well, so cause it didn't, cause of the gun, right. And the, no, right. That, but, but first of all, um, oh yeah. He, okay. So he draws a gun on a cop. So that dude should be in jail for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact and that he's not he shot on the yes, street he speaks to our they bankrupt culture. Him and I love how it's only it's literally the next scene where Don Cheadle's like, "We got that cleared up for you." Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's like, like <laughs> that's not how that works. It's like Queen takes it's like seemingly Queen an slim un- now in theaters. You know what I mean? Yeah. Se- seemingly an empty gun, right? Like oh he he grabs God. a gun from his apartment, goes out. He's at it's he's at his wits end. 
And he goes out and he pulls a gun on a cabbie. Essentially, the implication being he wants them to kill him. Yeah, he wants yeah. them to kill him, and you know, and he's and he, you know, he wants to commit suicide. Um, and he points a gun directly at the cop, and I just like, a, you have a gun out in front of a cop. <laughs> who's got their gun drawn, you're already shot. Maybe not dead yet, but you're at least shot. You're taken right? down, yeah. But then you point the gun <laughs> at the cop and the cop is like waiting for his partner to basically have his he back. He literally yells at him. He's like, Richie, now where look, are you? Where are you? Look. <laughs> and it's like, that would not happen. <laughs> that cop would shoot Adam Sandler 16 times. Now look, good on, not, I mean, good on the NYPD in this fictional movie for no, kind of showing the ablom to like be calm Wait. and have the other guy go around the back and tackle him. But I mean, I just feel like it's in the real world, to a world no. we're not living in anyway. Um, Absolutely not. But that's but, so it leads to the court <laughs> case. Segue to, segue to bedtime stories. <laughs> no, exactly. No, but but I mean, yeah, yeah. My point is simply at the end of the court thing. At some point, Donald Sutherland, who's also in this movie, says, "This doesn't seem like something we need to be having a court case about." And it's like, yeah, why is this scene in the movie? Right? Like, you just, there are things like <laughs> he's that. like he's like illustrating the the uselessness. Um, one funny thing is Don Cheadle is reading comics almost to appease uh, Adam Sandler's character. And he keeps making comments about Falcon from the Marvel movies, which is only funny because he, of course, ends he up playing Iron Patriot yes. and Anthony Mackie plays Falcon. In that context, he uses the F word in this, in that movie, because he's criticizing, um, he's criticizing Falcon's, Falcon's uniform in the comics. So once again, he's using the uh, homophobic slur very comfortably in 07. So, uh, another strange thing, but hey, what are we gonna do? Um, yeah, it's just—I mean, it. it's a movie riddled, I think, with things that it feels it needs to m make happen. So there are a lot of things that, like, certain people do that just don't—that uh, just norm real people wouldn't do. Like, it just—it just feels like it's yeah. a movie full of situations that are uh, that don't exist. But um, speaking of situations that don't exist. Bedtime stories the next year, <laughs> or do they though, Daniel? Oh, That's <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a Disney movie, right? Um, it's his. It's his only. I think it's his uh, only Disney movie. Disney movie. Yeah. Um, it's the same year as an underrated comedy that he made called "You Don't Mess with the Sohan," which I recommend people checking out. Um, kind of one of his better big budget comedies, action comedy. Um, bedtime stories. I think it was a Christmas release or re or holiday release. Um, it did well. The premise is he is the son of a hotel owner who has passed away, and before he died, he sold the the father, I believe Jonathan Price, sold the company to like a hotel magnate, and but he promised he would make his son Adam Sandler, whose name is Skeeter, in this movie. Oof, what a name! The owner of, but a very kind of appropriate Adam Sandler name. It, I mean, also. it's a very it's a Sandlery name for um, sure. The the new owner who is um I believe is Richard Griffiths R A P promised uh, Jonathan Price that he would make Skeeter the owner and of course he lied and Skeeter is uh, like the custodian on staff and Guy Pierce is the kind of de facto running the hotel. Um, Courtney Cox is is Adam Sandler's sister. Um, and which makes me think that Adam Sandler has not only has only not worked with um, Lisa Kudrow, 
in order to work with the three friends ladies um but oh, yeah <laughs> anyway uh courtney cox is like leaving to go for a job interview so for this like week-long period that the movie takes place um adam sandler is looking after uh his niece and nephew and he tells them bedtime stories and the next day parts of the stories come true at least as far as adam sandler's concerns so that's what the movie's about right and carrie russell is um also involved in helping taking care of the kids and they have uh of course they don't like each other but as the movie goes on adam sandler and carrie russell begin to love each other so i'll say this just right off the bat this is my favorite of the four I mean, <laughs> it's a low bar, but I I basically had no problem with the movie. <laughs> Zero problems. Uh, I mean, it's okay. a kids' movie. I don't know. I mean, I just no, kind of watched I guess it. So. Like, it just yeah, it's it's funny because it is Happy Madison producing it, and it literally feels like a Happy Madison movie sanded down for and, kids. For kids, yeah. Like there's no, every got, element it, of it. Yeah, it's got like all making the... fun of of midgets in it, yeah. which is like okay, midgets Jordan, small little little, little people, but people. <laughs> making fun. But no, but even even the joke about little people is like sanded down right because they don't adam sandler doesn't even really have a mean comment it's more just the context of the scene is a little mean it's well like it's just line. more it's yeah like it's just more like yeah. using their height as yeah. just like, a to thing that point, to laugh at. it is right. it's all very kind of i mean this is maybe giving the movie too much credit but it's overly kind given other happy madison productions you know what i mean it's yeah, pretty sure. like like yeah. i would show my kids Wait, this movie you know what i mean like it, it, it's definitely would like, you though it's weird I doesn't would. it don't you think it still weirdly has all like the over sexualization like teresa palmer's character yeah, no, and yes, you're like this does. is a pc yeah. movie that yeah. feels like a thing that's there for like the parents like yeah. and i mean you also but you also like you have like the super shitty thing of rob schneider playing a native american oh, yeah. which is like a fucking abomination <laughs> like i just yeah uh, like I get that they're friends and there is I will say this there is a thing about Adam Sandler and his thing of like I just want to make movies with my buddies that I can earnestly appreciate they're not my movies I, I don't particularly like basically any of them with a handful of maybe some of the older ones but I can kind of appreciate that there's well, something dude, about I mean, that he, that I can sort of respect he's a loyal guy Chris Herlihy is like is one of his main writers you know even to this day they work together at SNL. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. he works with people and, who he like has come up. You know what I mean? You're and, not wrong. Like, and and by all accounts, when you hear guy, people talk about yeah. them about him, they they have you know at least insofar as working with him, they have nice things to say, right? So, I, by and large, I have respect for the man. But I just like I just I see something like the Rob Schneider character in this movie, and I'm like, just maybe. What if you didn't? Like, what if you just <laughs> if you just didn't? And quick context, there's just. Well, I guess we'll just get into the overall kind of the stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, wait, so, so can I can I ask though? So I because I kind of said so like basically they have to save the hotel, right? And or not save the hotel, but essentially there's a chance for him. Adam Sandler to, to reclaim to reclaim sort of the ownership a higher position, yeah, over douchebag so, guy Pierce, yep. yeah, yeah, over over guy Pierce. He's and, like the requisite bad guy character, yeah. And uh, so basically. that's happening, and he's using the kids essentially when he's telling these bedtime stories to try to get what he wants. Um, one thing I earnestly didn't understand, and maybe I just missed this: Are we meant to believe that the stories? Are coincidence when they're coming real later the next day, 
or are they actually magic? Because so coincidence. I think well, I think okay, coincidence because like. Well, let me tell you. One, let me tell you sure. one part that confused me. So he tells the first story, and, the, and he's like, "Gumballs rain from the sky." Like mm-hmm. the kid says it, and right, then right. like a gumball truck crashes, and it's raining just on Adam Sandler, and he thinks the thing came true. Fine, okay, and they establish that that that's just a coincidence. Okay, but then the thing with the ex girlfriends in the restaurant where they're saying right, they're singing yeah. that song. Do they establish why they're doing that? You know, okay. So is that a thing that's in the bedtime story yes, too? Yes, it is. Okay, I might have missed that part because I, to me, that was a complete <laughs> non sequitur, and I was so confused. I was like, is that some sort of like an inside Adam Sandler no. joke? Or okay, because that like was that? the one part where yeah. I was like, oh, so is it magic? Because they're just doing this. Yeah, and I right, think yeah. don't the, don't they say after they're done doing that? Like I don't know why I did that. Like they're like it just like actually happens. I don't. Yeah, so maybe it's. I don't know. Maybe it's all real. Maybe magic was inside of us all along. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But um, I I did like that. Like the part where the kids are telling him the story and then, you know, other things come up and he's like. I think if this was, and this feels like a broad, easy thing to say about the movie. I think that if this was less of a Happy Madison movie, it would have been a better movie. Like, I think if you put this in the hands of somebody who can put together something that is sort of like innocent and whimsical um and i don't i'm trying to think of like a good example of who that would be but it's a better movie because it's i don't think he's ill-suited for it he's an affable guy you know he's got like i said before he's got a, a general uh tenderness to him that feels well suited for a, you know a kid's movie that's also for adults or whatever i just almost wish that this was like a movie with like a little bit less of a of a sheen on it like i like what is, you know, and maybe maybe this isn't the right person, but the first one that comes to mind is like, what is like Michelle Gondry's bedtime stories look mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, that's, like, a, that's an interesting comp. I you know what like, I mean? Like, like something that's something like generally fantastical, not just like uh, Ben Hur redone. Like, no, right, yeah. right. And even if you're still doing all the, Wars, if, yeah. even if you're still doing all the genre stuff, something with a little, like just a little bit more of like a deft artistic eye to it. Yeah. Um, I think you could basically keep roughly the same plot. Again, you take sort of the happy Madison-ness out of it. So you get rid of the just rampant misogyny and and little people jokes and stuff. But I I, I still think you have somewhat of like a at, at least like a fun, whimsical, compelling movie on your hands. I mean, I I basically agree with you, Dan. I think this is the this is probably the best of the four movies that we're gonna watch because I think it at, at the very least feels the most cohesive. Like it is, it 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 is committed to the thing that it's doing the whole time and follows it through on a, you know, on a logical through line. Although you know, obviously fantastical and insane, but but comes to conclusions that you know are typical but make sense given the uh, given yeah. the genre. Um, well, and I think look, I mean, we just Scott did. Guy Pierce, he's good actually. Yeah, I think he's a dance, a dance scene. Yeah, he has a he has a musical number about a, like a two minute musical <laughs> number near the end of the film that I actually was maybe one of the only times watching the whole movie that I was like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> oh, when you first pull up to the grand front door, there isn't just a bellhop, there's an overture at the Nottingham Broadway Mega. Resort. Oh, there's a pool for the sharks, a pool for the jets, and you can bring cats, cars, we take pets at the Nottingham Broadway Mega Resort. 
Well, and I love that it's a nice moment, and then in the movie, everybody's bored by it. I thought yeah. it was like a funny kind of a <laughs> dichotomy because I think every, all three of us were kind of like, hey, this is kind of nice. And then in the movie, everybody's like, yawn, whatever, this sucks. Um, I think that um, we were just – we just did Pacino and De Niro's directed movies as our last B-side episode. And I think I made mention of how this is – at when we were recording that, it was one of the stronger – you know, you know, slate of movies that we had done in terms of kind sure. of being able to recommend all of them. This is obviously the opposite, right? Like we said before, this is like one of the weakest sets of four, you know, sets of B-sides that we've done. So it, like we said, this is a low bar to recommend bedtime stories. But I just think for me, to your point, Connor, this felt the most digestible. And I think part of it is just because it's a kid's movie. You know, I literally like – I watched it relatively harmlessly. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I I didn't, you know, which, you know, that could be that could be revealing my own biases in terms of kind of genre and whatever, but that's just how I felt. Now let me ask as we kind of move to our final one, um what did all of us think of funny people? That that cuz this comes out funny people comes out the year after this, which is the I thought about whether or not we were going to cover this movie. I don't think you could call it a B-side cuz no, it did get it, a lot of coverage. Yeah, even though it that's kind of why I didn't. It's the same reason I didn't want to do Spanglish, but um just cuz I feel like people have litigated Spanglish and people have talked about Spanglish even though it is sort of an anomaly for Adam Sandler, but uh funny people I think is a I think he's very good in funny people. I think, and I feel like this is maybe the general consensus on the movie too, but like, I think that movie's fine. It's just, it's over two hours long and has no, yep. no reason to be. I think this, the latter half of that movie is where it like really suffers. I think like the first like 45 minutes of the movie um, is, is the, is the better. And have you rewatched it all? Because there's this contingent of people who seem to be like, oh yeah, I always put on funny people to watch in like the background, but I have not literally no, hip I, I, since I've I, seen it in no. theaters. I have yeah. once and I maintain how I felt originally, which is that that last act I really struggle with. Like that last bit where Eric Bana comes in and he has some funny moments, but then it's like he's sick and then he's not sick. And then, you know, like that whole, they almost like, it's that it's become a little bit common with Judd Apatow like it feels over long in some respects I still struggle with that final bit where it's just like there's not enough there to to keep me going through I mean I think as a whole I enjoy the movie but I felt the same way rewatching it you know I, 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 I it didn't hit for me you know uh, all the way through which you would love to say you know oh on rewatch you know, you know this stuck out but um yeah, so anyway. Um, and, and another one right after that that I actually have a fondness for that most people hated was That's My Boy. Yeah, I wish I, I did not I see I wish that. I had your fondness for it, Jordan, because uh, I remember you liked it and I watched it. James Conn's also uh, in that it's one. It's just actually. generally funny. I, I laughed my ass off during it. That's all I was asking for. I almost should go back. I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine now and I love mm. at, a lot of what Andy Samberg does in general. So I almost feel like I should go back and I mean, Pop Star is a masterpiece. Oh my God. So. Yeah. <laughs> Pop Star Hot Rod? Come on. Yeah. Um, cool beans, cool beans. You have hotel, um, you have hotel Transylvania. You have the grown up movies. One of my failures as a babysitter was um, I was babysitting a bunch of these kids oh at a God, party. Oh God. This, so, this, this is gonna go a dark. String, a string of no, terrible no. jokes just went through my. Head. One of my one of my failures. I was babysitting like uh, with my buddy. We were babysitting like. I don't even know, ten year old kid. You know, it was like a party for like sure. for like a for like a family friend, 
And it was like a bunch of 10-year-old, probably all boys, right? Like, I don't know, eight of them. And it was like, whatever. They, you know, got to the end of the night. You put a movie on because everybody's settling down. I decided, I was like, you know what? Let me try and see if they'll go a little bit, like they'll try for something a little bit better because they, they yeah, were men women and children they <laughs> were saying they were saying they wanted to watch grown-ups right and i was yeah. like why don't we try this and i put grown on i don't even love this movie but i put on scott pilgrim versus the world oh, or whatever no. oh that's which not i thought they might though. like this you know like this is kind of cool video game you know it's yeah. not not overly offensive there's not like anything yeah. terrible like the parents were cool that you know all that stuff i put it on within 10 minutes they were like <laughs> screaming for grown-ups and that was when i was like this country is broken our future yeah. <laughs> Um, but so he makes the grownups, uh, he makes blended, which Connor mentioned that same year. He has a nice little cameo in top five, which is the Chris Rock movie. Um, the cobbler comes out at Toronto before it comes out the next year, uh, in theaters for two seconds. Our final movie comes out in an Oscar released window directed <laughs> by Jason Reitman. I think also written by Jason Reitman, right? Um, and cool, that yeah. movie. Cool, written with the, um, Aaron Cressida Wilson. I mean, who could forget? Yeah, who, yeah, Chad yeah. Colden, Colgin, Jason Reitman, and Aaron Cressida Wilson. This movie's uh, worldwide gross, by the way. Who wrote uh, Secretary? So happy. Oh, Secretary is good. Yeah. Wait, what is the worldwide gross, Connor? You want to guess? Uh, so the like, movie cost. This movie cost uh, at least reported budget sixteen million dollars. Okay. Which, whatever it feels like, it's not sure. like a crazy movie. Small go. Movie I'm gonna go two hundred thirty thousand. Two. Okay. I'm gonna, it's go, than that. I'm gonna go seven ninety. Okay, it's a little, okay. Maybe all right. Yeah, you got it's it's like just over a million dollars. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. yeah. So this movie's but called. I, well, no, just under two. It's like a million seven. This oh, movie's okay. called Men, Women, and Children. We mentioned it before. It's our last movie, and it is a movie that, um, I don't know. I mean, so okay, it's based on a book, right? I yep, believe it's yep. based on a novel. Yep. Um. Okay, so this is in this is in the realm of ensemble social drama commentary movies like Crash, like Babel, right? Um, that movie Disconnect, you know, like it's like one of these. This has About to be the, the worst time we one, live right? in right now. This has to be the worst one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and then what's weird is like it. It's not even dealing with an issue that is as tricky or full of as many landmines as a babble <laughs> or a crash and somehow just manages to do just a horrible job navigating it. Like I, it's so insane to me. Like I, it, it, but yeah, for it, me, it was the same issue I had the first time I watched it. And then, and now every single line, every scene, everything about the movie is the text of the movie. Yeah. There's nothing else about the movie. No, there's no, it. there's no subtext. There's no character to it to yeah. anyone. It's just, it, it feels like a string of uh, of like after school specials that are that are pieced together and and it's I feel like it's the definition of sophomoric because I feel like Jason Reitman is making this thing and through hubris or whatever has just like lost sight of the movie and is just like feel, like you can tell that he feels like he's knocking it out of the park. And it just every yeah every scene I'm just like yeah well, I mean Jordan you're I right. get you, it like, you were right before like like literally this whole movie is this is the time <laughs> we live in right like it's like hey guys what if what if these things 
that are meant to connect us <laughs> really divide us really divide us well and, and also this is what this is i mean we're gonna get this is where we get a little mean probably but but it's one of those movies i had never seen it before uh doing this uh for this podcast the movie opens with a satellite like in space i mean it says 2001 and and, <laughs> and, and emma thompson uh narrating and not and i love emma thompson don't get me wrong but um so that moment happens, right? And I'm watching it on my computer and I literally go, oh, fuck. Like that, that, <laughs> that's my reaction, right? Because you know, like like the minute a movie like this starts with this like lofty, you know, literally like yeah. it's like, let's talk about, you know, what's Everyone. doing, like what's yeah. controlling all this. And then it becomes, you know, Ansel Elgort is, I, I guess, essentially the lead character, right? And given the narrative. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, it's an ensemble movie, but yeah, it's like, it's him. Judy Greer. It's him, Judy Greer, Dean Norris. Caitlin Deaver. The Jennifer the Garner. Barely the Sandler. Goddess, Caitlin kinda. Deaver. Um, who's, I think Caitlin Deaver's actually pretty good in this movie. Yeah. Now, yeah, decent casting for, for a terrible film. Interesting moment it's got in this a really movie. Really good cast. It's, yeah. Ansel, Ansel Elgort beats the shit out of Timothy Chalamet, which is kind of which funny. Is, Who, and they so went to high, high school, school together. together. Yeah, yeah. Right they were on the, my workplace. They were on the there. same basketball team. Um, so that was kind of a funny moment. Um, but so essentially, right, the movie is wrapped in this. In this, the, the framework is Emma Thompson's narrating omnis, you know, omnisciently, which is kind of weird. Also, when you think about the fact Stranger that she does fiction. the same thing for Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I mean, now, he's a bold director. He's, he's got some bold creative choices. <laughs> like, I just love the idea of Reitman watching Strange of the Fiction being like, you know what? You know, like that's kind of <laughs> what you feel like. And then, um, much is made about Ansel Elgort's fascination with Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot, which if you don't know, Pale Blue Dot is Sagan's kind of treatise. His like, it's rather beautiful, right? It's this image that they, I think they animate. I watched it on YouTube where they like animate it and they basically expand. You see Earth, and then you keep pushing away from Earth further, further away through our solar system, right? Mm-hmm. And this quite beautiful rendering. And Sagan has this essentially monologue about, you know, how it, it's this. It's beautiful because it's about how meaningless it can seem, of course, right? Because it's this one world we live in this one pale blue dot we live on and these you know millions and millions of galaxies and you know all these wars are fought but obviously the way it's written and presented it's meant to achieve both this idea of what all of us as humans deal with on a daily basics base basis is like our lives are so important to us and while we are also aware of how not important they may be right so pale blue dot is way more profound than anything in this movie. And I think one of the things that one of the biggest problems this movie has is that exact thing. Cause it's, it's, you know, at the end of this movie, Emma Thompson just reads pale blue dot, right? Like she, well, a portion of it, a portion of it. Right. Yeah. But, but the point is like that, I mean, it is to me, the what you are suggesting at the end of your movie by doing that right and what you think you've achieved and look i mean in credit to right i mean what you think you're working towards which i mean obviously like we always say you know you know people are trying to make good work here so it's not like 
you know. Yeah, I would say know, it doesn't feel like anybody's big, like sleeping on the job or anything. No, I like mean that. it's it's just it's such a big failure in terms of its execution towards like you were saying, Connor, what it's attempting to do. Um, that makes it harder to deal with, I think, in a critical aspect. But you know, uh, in terms of plot, it's a bunch of different people, a bunch of different men, women, and children. And they're all dealing with not really children. They're like teenagers. teenagers. They're actually Young very. Teens. There are very few children. In I this mean, movie. they're still children, Connor. That's what we learned. They're still. They're dealing. Also, with. but technically speaking, aren't they all children? Oh, like they're all. Some, they're all somebody's kid. Yeah, and they're all. And you know what? They're all kind of acting like children, aren't they? Interesting. Interesting. Um, Maybe I will, this movie's great. five stars. <laughs> I will say this. Um, Sandler's probably given the best performance, right? Among everybody. Yeah, I I basically th- him, and, uh, him and DeWitt, him and Rosemary DeWitt. Yeah, and I mentioned this to you, Dan, when I was kind of finishing it up. Like, right? I, I think uh, so. He and Rosemary DeWitt play a married couple who are you know basically on the rocks. They are you know their vignette sort of it chooses to sort of uh, Reitman uses their vignette to analyze like married people in the online world trying to have affairs through Ashley Madison and online dating and and whatnot. Um, and so they basically play like a, you know, a sex, sexually unfulfilled married couple, uh, or I guess sexually and emotionally unfulfilled married couple who sort of uh, separate from one another decide to like cheat on each other, essentially. And that's basically it, yeah. right? That's like their- And arguably, they, they do have the best scene in the movie, I think. No, no, no. I, which well, is the, when they- Towards when the end of the movie. When he's cooking. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. And it's- Cooking breakfast, it, I mean. That, yeah. I was watching that scene. So basically, they've had these affairs. Uh, Dennis Haysbert is, uh, is in this movie as the, as the man that- that uh, that Rosemary DeWitt uh, has an affair with, and it's so crazy. Um, Haysbert's first line to Rosemary DeWitt is, "Are you in good hands?" Which I think is so crazy. <laughs> it's a little strange, yeah, yeah, yeah. very strange. Um, <laughs> but that's for all it, my Allstate people out there. <laughs> thank you for sponsoring. <laughs> yeah, this this episode is brought to you by Allstate. Uh, Rosemary DeWitt's in good hands. I'll tell you what. Hey, I'll tell you what. Um, or is she though? She seems very sad afterwards. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, so they have an affair. The one thing about that whole dynamic that I really uh, did not like is the thing that like, it's kind of like the bulletproof thing, actually. I think it feels like the movie wants you to sympathize with Sandler a little bit more than than her because she sort of, I guess the implication is, like it wants you to feel that way because she returns to the affair. It's not like a one-off thing. Whereas he hires an escort and spends the night with an escort, right? And does and like sort of chooses not to do it again. Well, so does, like somehow there... that's like a bargaining chip in his favor. According I don't to this know movie, though, because which think is a little cuts, weird. I feel like it cuts to him doing the escort thing a second time, doesn't it? Does it? I think it does because I think it's meant to equalize them. At least the attempt is to. I mean, look here, not to get too whatever like gender gender you know whatever here but like we're talking i mean all these movies are directed by men right so i think no, something no, sure something you run sure. into with some of these things is like i mean and we're i mean i mean look i mean this is something hopefully we continue to kind of move away from i mean you hope to see more movies directed by women because exactly what you're talking about connor i think is a na- i mean a natural- screenplay co-written by a woman 
Okay, to be, but, to be but in terms of the eye of the guy behind the camera sure, and calling yes, action and cutting in the editing room, like it's not overly surprising. Not that you can't make a movie about a woman if you're a man and vice versa. Of course, of course, of course. But if you're a man making a movie about these types of you know uh, things, it's not overly surprising if you – even if it's subconscious, you are editing the movie in a way that perhaps even visually – Right is more sympathetic to the man, right? but that's like, not just me, right? Like that, I feel like I would I feel say like the movie the only, wants you to sympathize. The only with moment, yeah, the only moment where I felt overtly like that was when, so basically, when Adam Sandler discovers what Rosemary Dewitt is doing, which she's essentially going on the Ashley Madison website, you know, and going stepping outside of her marriage. Excuse me. Um, he goes to the bar where she's meeting these men. And like gets a drink and they have this moment where he's like looking at her very judgmentally and she feels caught. And of course, she does not have an equal moment, right? So in choosing to show that moment in the movie, you right, you are you are obviously inherently tipping the scales, you know. To well, some because degree. she never confronts him about you right. know what I mean? It's like it is this it is this pot kettle moment that's a little that's a little weird. Granted, I agree with you, Jordan. I do think it's the best scene in the movie. It's basically that whole that whole thread culminates in Sandler making breakfast. And it's the moment that I when I, you know, I was talking to you, Dan, when I was watching it. And I I did say that like I think honestly, if if Reitman just chose to focus the movie on the two of them and still wanted to make some sort of a statement about like how technology affects our relationships and whatnot. But if he just wanted to like focus the movie on the two of them, they are, I think, the two best performances in the movie. Um, and I don't think they're in it enough to kind of elevate the movie in any specific way. But Sandler has the best moment in the movie uh, when when basically Rosemary DeWitt wants to like hash it out and Sandler kind of basically is like, no, no, no. Like, I just, I don't even want to do it. Like, it's not worth it. What do you want? I don't, what, I, I don't, I'm. Cheddar, Swiss, scallions, tomatoes. I don't know what I was looking for when I went online. Chives. I could do turkey bacon. I understand you're upset. I just. I just want to know what you'd like in your eggs. Don, we need to talk about this. I've made mistakes. So have I. Oh, yeah. So have I. Hmm. Probably worse than you. I don't know, Helen. That's just it. That's just, what's just it? Well... We could sit here and tell each other everything we've ever done, shit everything we've ever thought. It might take a while. But yeah, we could clear everything up and go to sleep tonight with some pretty vivid pictures in our heads. You just tell me what you want for breakfast. And it's like a sad, really interesting moment. Um, and I think he nails it really, really well. It's like the better version of what I was talking about with the rain over me moment, because he has that moment where he gets to kind of like put it all out there. 
um, and and you know give a little bit of like a, you know a dramatic showcase, but he's not putting on anything. He's not you know there are no like over emotional affectations or anything like that. It feels like a really tired, worn down like broken performance. It's kind of similar, I think, to like what he does in Meyerowitz stories. It's a very similar kind of thing, mm-hmm. and he's and he's. I, I think he's really good at it. Like he, I think basically make, and a couple other people like, like again, the performances in this movie aren't really the problem. I don't think, except for, I mean, I don't really want to drag her, but Jennifer Garner is, <laughs> is not great in this movie. I great, mean, the that char- character the, is it, just, so basically she plays an overprotective mom, uh, the mother of Caitlin Deaver, who's like having you know, community meetings about how to manage your kids' social media accounts and, you know, make sure they're not doing anything torrid and, you know, it's an unsafe world and da-da-da-da. And, of course, the great irony of, you know, this is a very – of course, this movie does this. The great irony of the whole thing is ultimately in her trying to protect her daughter, she ultimately does the most detrimental thing that anybody does in the movie in trying to protect her daughter – uh, to Ansel Elgort, ultimately, who is in a kind of the beginnings of a relationship with Caitlin Deaver, right? So they really hit the hammer right on the nail, you know, the the nail of the head, uh, head of the nail, whatever you want to say, in that moment. And to the degree that, you know, Garner, who I think, Connor, you were saying before when we were talking about this movie, she's almost made a career out of either playing this character or like the soft, lovable, exact opposite version of this character, right? Like there's not been a lot of middle ground for her since Alias, right? Like, you know, you know, you're you, – it's like Peppermint, The Kingdom, Men, Women, and Children or like Catch and Release, you know, the Valentine's Day movie. You know what I mean? There's like not really – there's there's not really a middle ground, I think – to a lot of her characters, which is always like, a little frustrating. She's playing here, and I'm—I I mean, it's—it's it's unsurprising to me that 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 she got cast in this role because I mean, she's playing here. I feel like some version of her character from Juno, but like what that woman is actually like <laughs> as a mom, you know, like post Juno, mm-hmm. and like, and 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 I think Reitman and uh, I think Reitman. And Aaron Wilson, like, really just hone in on, like, all of her worst possible attributes to the point where, like, and again, it's not, I don't think it's really entirely Garner's fault. She, like, doesn't feel like a human. I feel like most of the other characters in this movie, I agree with you, Jordan, that they're not necessarily characters. Like, they all serve to just, like, make whatever statements the movie needs them to make. But I think at the very least, most of the performers behind them play them with enough humanity that like you can kind of make it through and like sort of see them as people a little bit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The Judy Greer character is so complicated in what she's doing. She's essentially taking like lurid photos of her teenage daughter and selling them on a website with her daughter's permission and like not thinking it's that bad and then realizing the error of her ways. Had there been more of a focus on her and obviously Judy, Judy Greer is a great actress. That's kind of interesting in its own right. But once again, it's such a deep ensemble that like, 
nobody really has much time to do anything. And by the time you get to the end of the movie, it feels like it's been going on for a long time. But you also feel like you don't know who any of these people are. And you're just kind of like, okay, so yeah, I mean, we get it. Like screens can be bad, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of – it's so limiting weirdly like – and also so overwrought. <laughs> and I'd be curious to know, I mean, because there's a part of me that could totally see Jason Reitman using that as a defense of the movie, like like almost in a meta way that like we're we're not connected mm. to these people, right? <laughs> like we don't know who they are, just like we all don't know who the other person is because we're all looking at screens and like I feel like that- You're right, that, dude, five stars. <laughs> that feels like a thing he would use as a defense of this movie. I just- I don't know. It's like way too unfocused and it's like, you know, it's a, you know, it's a, be- a way better movie about the same exact thing. And it's like a schlocky genre movie searching, yeah. searching. Well, someone also mentioned when this came out, it was the same year as unfriended. I think and yeah, it's, it's a better, more about better, yeah. like yeah. It better does a better job of communicating the danger in a way more entertaining way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know it. I mean, and as far as the Sandler of it all, like it, I just, yeah, I don't know. He He's good enough in the movie that I wish it was more ab- about him. And I, I, I think you could have, you could have chosen to whittle, you know, four or five characters out of this movie. And it, and it, I think it, it, it at least achieves a, a measure of improvement. Um, but, uh, now we have Ghostbusters three coming from Raitman next <laughs> oh, year. God. What do we? Can, it can is I, funny. How, where do we stand on, on Jason Martin? Let's I was going to say this movie put him in kind of director jail for like it four did. years. It did. Good. Well, this he was, on, he was this on a tear. This in Labor Day. This in Labor Day. Labor Day is right. better. The Labor Day is better punch. than this movie. Yeah, it was yeah. a one-two punch of Labor Day and this movie. I mean, I'll say this: I, I, I enjoyed. Thank you for smoking. I've rewatched it since. I still enjoy it. I think Up in the Air has only grown in my estimation over time. I think it's a pretty good movie. Um, Juno has lessened sadly, though I do think mm-hmm. it's still pretty effective. And my favorite, by quite a margin, to this day, is Young Adult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Young Adult. I never saw the front runner. Yeah, I have not either, actually. Young Adult, though, is feels like the one where he was, you know, you know, his stuff with Diablo Cody, I think, has always been interesting. And that's one where it's like, it feels like whatever acid, like, you know, dialogue stuff she has, right? Like, whatever that mm-hmm. thing is that she offers is really at a point in that movie. And I think it's like one of Charlize's best performances. And Well, I was going to say- she's I, also great in Tully, which I didn't love the movie overall. Oh, yeah, Tully but, didn't love the movie, but it's another great performance. Yeah, I, I, also I, think, Cody, I, right? think, I think Charlize is the, is the secret sauce to both of those, though. Because she does feel- I mean, if Reitman's whole thing is that he likes making movies about unlikable people, I think he said that when uh, Up in the Air came out. You know, and he, I think he had mentioned that. Um, that he loves, you know, unlikable protagonists and whatnot. I, I, I feel like Charlize is a is like a perfect uh, leading leading person for for somebody like Jason Raymond. I don't really love him. I think by and large, most of his movies have pretty much soured on me, with the exception of Up in the Air. That's the only one that I still still uh, enjoy with any measure. Um, I think also just because as more and more time goes on and. I feel like we haven't gotten like a really great George Clooney performance in a while. I I go back to that one quite a bit. Um, I'm gonna make a bold prediction that this new Ghostbusters will actually be worse than the last Ghostbusters. I I would believe it. Bold. I would believe it. Thousand bold baby. 
thousand percent. It's for the fans. You heard it here. He's, you make, heard it he's here making first. it. He's making it for the fans. You heard it here first. Um, but yeah. Um, and then Sandler's recent like Netflix films. I I started with the Ridiculous Six. Watched that. Never wanted to watch another one again. But <laughs> people seem to like enjoy. I hear some defenses what? of like Stanley Wexler and. The week of, which I haven't well, seen any. So here's the yeah, thing. Sandy, now that- Sandy Wexler and the week of are the two best of the Netflix ones. I would say okay. I've seen. I think all of them. I, I will say actually. I I, the, I guess the comedy special counts as a Netflix oh, one, yeah, and, 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 it's, and it's great. Yeah, I, I, it's I, I great. Well, and here's the here's the thing. And I I I wanted to get here because and I mentioned this to you, Dan, kind of off mic. Uh, uh, that I, I, as I was watching this, and obviously we've been like largely. Negative on basically, um, on basically all of these counts, but the he's a weird movie star for me because and I I I asked you this the other day and I'm like, is there a mo- another movie star who has so rarely achieved what like we, what we would call greatness that is so enthusiastically encouraged to do so every time right like he he can make all the terrible shit he wants and every time he teases like a men women and children or an uncut gems i feel like even critics right even critics who give all of his shit bad reviews every time we're all just like yeah okay like let's do it i do think two easy comparisons i was thinking about this two pretty easy comparisons are will smith and sandra bullock because they both are movie stars equal to Adam Sandler, whose general output in terms of like great movies they've made is pretty limited, right? But when they're good, they get a lot of credit for it, as they should, because they deserve it, because they are great at what they do. But when you actually look at the movies themselves, there aren't a lot of like standouts. You know what I mean? Like Sandra Bullock, think about it. I mean, Gravity, obviously is a standout in its own right and she's very good in it and I think that's a great one, right? Okay, you know, Will Smith, you have something like Men in Black, you have, you know, in terms of his performance, maybe The Pursuit of Happiness, but as as overall movies, right? Ali, thank you, Jordan. You know, so you have stuff like that and Sandler's similar, right? It's like, you know, you have... Well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, wouldn't... To me, the weird thing about Sandler is that when you look at... And I, you know, I don't have Sandra Bullock's numbers in front of me right now, but like when you look at Will Smith, for instance, the stuff that were hits were also generally beloved and well No, but see, I don't know if they were beloved. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Like, like, isn't Hancock like a bedtime stories, right? Like, isn't like I, I so. Am Legend like just an, you know, and I like these movies generally, so don't get me wrong. I'm just saying like there's a digestibility to these movies. Like he's not, you know, like... Well, I guess what I mean is when you think about these movie stars and we talk about all the time, someone like Tom Cruise nowadays is more in this lane, right? He's doing Mission Impossible movies. We've talked about this before, so I won't go down this road. But like Tom Cruise is now doing what people kind of always were afraid he was going to do, right? Which is like stick to a lane. Now, luckily, the lane is pretty fun and he does crazy things. And I think we're lucky with what we got before he settled down, right? And we're lucky where he settled. Okay, fine. But like think about somebody like like Bruce Willis, right? Not in the same stratosphere as these other stars, but took some really crazy risks throughout his career, right? And failed a lot, right? Like stuff like Hudson Hawk, stuff like Color of Night, stuff like Breakfast of Champions, right? Like he's made a lot of weird movies, okay? 
Will Smith doesn't have that pedigree. Neither does Adam Sandler. Neither does nowadays Tom Cruise, right? Neither does Sandra Bullock, right? Because it's like even her Netflix movie is Bird Box, which is like kind of a cool movie, but basically just, you know, a pretty standard, you know, apocalyptic uh, blockbuster, right? I mean, you know, I enjoyed it well enough, but this is the stuff we're talking about. You know, Gravity was a big risk, but also a theme park ride, you know, and not, that is not a diss. It's simply just an observation. So I think, you know, that's where Adam Sandler lives. You know, like there is a, like his brand, his, his, like, not unlike, well, we know that her brand is crisis. Her brand is crisis, but every man, woman, and child's brand is crisis. A great example of a, of a rare Sandy B B side, right? Like that movie, no one, cared about right like one one day we'll talk about it oh hell yeah all about steve dude come on <laughs> premonition she's got some good ones um but that's what i think i think ultimately like you know even think about with will smith now like nobody saw gemini man r.i.p oh, um, you know i'm gonna go on the record one one more time and just say that i fucking love gemini man yeah i mean it's I'm a so shame, happy it exists a lot of people love his like Facebook stuff that he does. Do you know what I mean? Like he recognizes his likability um, in as much as he will continue as his own movie star, his own like brand to 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 be ever you know ever present, right? So I think Sandler's in a similar way, you know, like. And it's the same reason they'll, the reason they'll make Bright too, right? Like people say a million – like so many people watch Bright on Netflix. You know, I think a lot of people watch the Sandler movie. I mean, look. Look at me. I've watched the Sandler movies on Netflix. I've watched well, them. Well, I, I think the other part of that too is like specifically with the Netflix deal, right? Like I think Sandler's theatrical output has shifted in a way, right, clearly. And, you know, I, I think I think, you know, God willing – we're going to keep getting more things like uncut gems. We'll get interesting choices and whatever, because I think, you know, hope, one would hope he would realize like that's where the interesting stuff is theatrically. Whereas the thing with like something like the Netflix deal, the interesting thing about that is like he made all these movies that are basically, you know, reminiscent of, as you mentioned, Dan, like that run in the 90s where everybody who's our age fell in love with him or you know whatever fell in love with him whatever you want to say but but watched him right and and he's still making those movies but he puts them on netflix because that's where people our age are now generally speaking right and, like, and it's away from the critical response right and, and they just, will never be considered a bomb no no, no like my and I, I don't even mean this in a in a bad way but like my older siblings and you know their spouses like they you know i i remember when ridiculous 6 came out my brother-in-law was like yeah i watched it i really liked it and i was like cool man like good for you like i you know i, I don't even mean to get like overly negative on any of it really cuz it is i think at the end of the day particularly with the netflix stuff generally harmless cuz it's not like it's taking up a screen you know yeah. what i mean like it's not like it's eating eating a space and in the, in the people in the... need to watch something when they're drunk at 2 a.m like <laughs> sure and if it's going to be the thing that's right on the banner that netflix gives them then then sure um i just uh you know i i think like i said there's an interesting sort of unabashedness to him in the way that he thinks about his own output he i i was trying to find like you know like you you see you, you have all these other movie stars in his in his sort of uh, weight class that that 
I think over the years have been willing to talk about some of the monumental failures. And I ha- I wasn't really able to find that with him because he kind of just doesn't give a shit. No. Um, which is frustrating from a person who wants to see him do interesting work because you know that he's capable of it, obviously. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of just like, okay, like he, I interviewed him just for Uncut Gems recently yeah. at Film at Lincoln Center at New York Film Festival. And he is just like the most humble guy. Like he will, he just care. Like he's like, yep, Safety brothers did everything on this project. Like I just did what they told me. Like, like that's every quote yeah, he had I mean, was pretty seems, much like that. He seems like a worker. And like, I remember yeah. him making a joke when just go with it came out where he basically admitted they wanted to go to Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like. Right, right. So that's, I mean, it that's what he said it, about the grown movies. Make, doesn't make doesn't make it any of a better movie, obviously. But you know, you got to yeah. respect the you got to respect the the honesty, I suppose. Now, I, mean, I feel like for it's him, it's like he has this comfortable deal where he can go out with his friends, go make movies wherever he wants, and then once a year, if he wants to, he has the option to make a, you know a daring film. Right, and, and if that's and if he doesn't want to, he'll wait another year yeah, or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if if if. Part of me does think, and I think maybe this is what would answer sort of my question, why he is this person that we all still enthusiastically go to, um, is that, you know, the value of something like an Uncut Gems, at least for him in his career, seems to be there in a way that it's like, okay, if the Netflix deal got us to Uncut Gems, then cool. Like, I don't, like, sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, no, and I think and, and he's campaigning. He clearly wants to be part, you know, considered in in, in the conversation. You think he so. will? I mean, he is. He is. He's like out there doing. He's no, 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 no. But do you think? Oh no, like, no, if you he will not be nominated. You, you don't no, think they'll no, get nominated? No okay. The movie's too abrasive. And... The gems are too uncut. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Me? Do you, which like you think if they cut some of the gems? Yeah, okay. yeah, three fourths of the gems. If they were cut. <laughs> Then he'd, then he'd be in. Interesting. Okay. okay, well, the next time. That'll be the, ne- that'll be the sequel. I, I, but hey, get that indie spirit win, you know? Sure. What yeah. 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 He only has a Globe nomination to his name, right? So far, as of this recording. Uh, for Punch Drunk Love. He must have more Punch Razzies than anybody, right? Yeah, he, I think, is the was the first person to ever win for uh, worst male performance and female performance. Jack and Jill, baby. Yep. Read that Don review. Cuchino. Read my. I think it's my only F review I ever gave on the Don film stage. I think it's also like a. I think it's like a three hundred word review. Like I, mean, I think it's yeah, like he, he is second only to Sly Stallone for most Razzies. Oh, interesting. And I think most in we were talking about it on the Slack. I would almost go back and not give the F because of the Dunkachino commercial. <laughs> because the Al Pacino Dunkachino commercial is a masterpiece. Which I wasn't going to do it in the last episode, but just for all you at in. home, I'm going to put it right. Here. It's brewing at D&D. Wow! Al Pacino! It's not Al anymore! It's Dunk! Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do! What's my name? Dunkachino! It's a whole new game! Dunkachino! You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, who are light? This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17. Lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. And there you are. And uh, yeah. And what a note I, to end on. Yeah, I guess, I mean, anything else we want to say about Sandler? I'm thankful for the clip you just played.
Yeah, <laughs> go see Uncut Gems. Like looking yeah, forward I, to Uncut Gems. It, it'll be uh, when this when this episode drops. I believe uh, it'll be coming out limited, limited December thirteenth. Yeah, the wider like, Christmas a, time in a few days. So, yeah. and then uh, you know you can spend your you can spend your holidays with uh, with Adam Sandler uh, if you live in other parts of the country. But um, yeah, I guess other than that, um, you know, Jordan, where can we find you? On the filmstage.com. Um, that's where you live. That's where that's, I live. Yeah. Yep. Um, also at, at Filmlink. Um, yeah. That's it. You can find me at DJ Mecca and at the filmstage.com. Just did a review, like I said before, of 21 Bridges. Uh, interview with the very talented writer and director of Hala, uh, which you can find on the film stage as well. And uh, Connor, why don't, you, why don't you close us out with where we can find you and some some sage advice. Well, we can be you can, so you can follow me at Scruffy, Scruffy Looking on Twitter. Uh, you can follow this podcast at TFSB side. You can also follow the Film Stage Show at the at Film Stage Show, and uh, the Film Stage at the Film Stage. Um, so there's a lot there for you to chew on, and uh, you can also catch my byline occasionally on uh, on thefilmstage.com. And until next time, I will just say. Mr. Mecca, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Oh,